saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. We gather this next hour around the gift of the inspired and true Word of God and the Word made flesh, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is your light and your salvation. And this light shines on us today. As we begin a new book, I'm always excited to start something new, and today we have one of the great books of Holy Scripture, the book of Colossians. This book might be only 95 verses long, but it presents a clear teaching of who Christ is and his relationship to the world, which includes one of my favorite verses on forgiveness. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. What a joy it is today and what a gift, and the gifts are ready for you. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A special thanks this morning to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for their support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lahfmissions.org for more information, lahfmissions.org. For my introduction this morning, I wanted to reflect a little bit, and I wanted to highlight something of how we in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod are so blessed with the top minds of Christ-centered theological education, top minds of teaching and proclamation of the Word of God, guys who have PhDs, tops in their field, from our professors to the seminaries, our professors at our Concordia University system, and even more great theological minds who have PhDs who serve in other ways, the parish, in missions, and around the world, which is why it is a joy to have with us today Reverend Dr. Paul Dieterding, the author of the Concordia Commentary on Colossians. He actually wrote the book on it. And what does he do with all this knowledge of God's grace, hope, and love in our Lord Jesus and Holy Scripture? He teaches high schoolers, forms them in the Word of God to serve in his kingdom here and also around the world as a religion instructor at St. Paul Lutheran High School in Concordia, Missouri. Dr. Dieterding, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you for having me. Dr. Dieterding, it is an honor to have you with us. As I said, you literally wrote the book. Uh, you didn't write the book, but you wrote the book about uh, Colossians itself. And and with that, uh, uh, thank you for your time. And also, you serve in a, as a, a unique ministry as a high school teacher slash pastor. So tell us about that work you do at St. Paul Lutheran High School. Uh, as you say, I'm one of the religion instructors here at St. Paul. Um, service dean of chapel uh here at our school we wear many hats so i also happen to be track coach i'm one of the bus drivers so we do a lot of different things here in carrying out our ministry at saint paul well what's your specialty in track i'm a track coach as well so i'm excited now <laughs> uh i ran long distance so um i guess that qualifies me to be the be the track coach <laughs> yeah, my wife and I coach uh, shot put in discus at the high school, the public high school here in Sartell. So, so okay. I I even form, feel more connected with you today, Doctor Dieterding. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> now, Saint Paul Lutheran High School itself is a unique mission in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Can you tell us more about the work that's done there by the saints at Saint Paul? Um. School was started in 1883 by the local congregation, St. Paul's Lutheran Church here. Uh, it was originally started in the um, classical German gymnasium uh, style. 
that is, you had uh, six years, essentially uh, the four years of high school and two years of junior college, and then students from here would, after graduation would either go to one of the seminaries to prepare to become a pastor or to one of the teacher's colleges to prepare to become a, a Lutheran teacher. Um, this continued for, for decades. Um, when I was a student here 50 years ago, I, that was still pretty much the, the norm, that students came here to prepare um, for pastoral ministry, uh, teaching ministry, or some other church work profession. Uh, at uh, one time, our, our synod had more than half a dozen schools like this, six-year schools um, preparing, uh, primarily preparing church workers. Um, over the last decades, that's, that's changed somewhat. Um, we don't have quite the, you know, well, we don't have nearly the um, number of people preparing for church work, but we still are preparing them for, for other vocations. I like to say we're preparing the next, uh, next generation of church leaders, professional and lay. And so Lutheran education is still very much uh, a part of our mission. Um, we still try and encourage and promote and recruit young people to consider and to take on uh, church work professions, um, but also um, educating, educating people for other, other vocations in life and, and giving them a strong biblical uh, Lutheran foundation uh, for pursuing, pursuing their uh, futures. Um, our school also uh, emphasizes um, a college preparatory curriculum. Um, nearly all the members of our faculty have um, master's degrees. A um, handful of us even have uh, doctor's degrees in our field. Uh, and so um, college preparation is very much a, a part of us. In fact, we are able to offer a number of uh, dual credit courses. Uh, a student can take a course and fulfill his or her requirement for, um, for high school uh, in that particular discipline, but also get a semester credit uh, of college credit. And so it's not uncommon for graduates from here to, um, to graduate with a, a semester or even more of college credit and head start on college, um, uh, knowing what college life to be expected and not to mention saving a uh, a semester, uh, perhaps, of uh, tuition, room, and board in, in college. So hmm. that's um, a big part of our, our um, ministry here. Uh, for a number of years now, uh, we have been involved in a number of international programs. Um, we have um, relationships with various um, church agencies and educational ag agencies around the world. So in a typical year, uh, we will have quite a number of um, students from Africa, um, students that have come here either um, because of um, church background or maybe educational background, seeking, seeking good education for, for their students. Uh, in Europe, it's pretty common for uh, a high school student to take one year of high school in another country. And so we um, have uh, typically a number of European students that are with us as well, um, hmm. sometimes only for a year, um, but have European students in, in our um, student body. Uh, in Asia, it is um, 
fairly common for well-to-do families to send children to the United States for education, not only for college, but also for high school. And so we will have um, a mix of uh, Asian students in our student body, and, and they may uh, may typically uh, stay here two, three, four, four years um, for their high school education. Um, Korea, Taiwan, uh, mainland China, Hong Kong, um, Japan, uh, sometimes Pacific Island nations. Hmm. And um, then we'll probably have um, a handful of students from from uh, at least Latin America, if not if not South America itself. So we um, have quite a quite a uh, national international mix in our student body. What that um, what that means. Uh, is also that we may have quite a mix of um, religious views. We will have we will have students with strong church backgrounds, um, strong faith. Uh, some may even be considering church work careers. But especially because of the international program, we may have um, students who have um, no firsthand. Um, knowledge, no firsthand uh, interaction with the Christian faith, and occasionally even a student that is um, um, somewhat hostile to um, to Christianity and, and even religion in general. And so that makes for for quite a mix in in our student body, and means that um, also there's there's op, op, uh, opportunity for mission. Right in our student body, uh, your listeners may be familiar. Some churches have these signs as you're leaving their their grounds. You're now entering the mission field. I've sometimes suggested we ought to put signs up like that, but turn them around. That when you come on your camp, <laughs> our campus, you're entering the mission field. Absolutely. Uh, we um, yeah, we have um, the experience of students um, uh, coming in contact with the Christian faith for the first time. Um, occasionally, we will have a student or students um, over the years having, um, because of their contact here, requesting to be baptized into the Christian faith. Amen. So it's um, really um, quite a quite a um, diverse and interesting environment here. Um, we are able to be in mission. Everybody knows when they come here, um, we are a Lutheran school, and so there's certain things that that we just do. Every student takes a religion class. Uh, every student is expected to attend chapel uh, here on campus. Uh, every student is expected to uh, attend worship on Sundays. Uh, for those students who might not feel comfortable with uh, with attending um, a regular service at uh, our local Lutheran congregation here, we do make some some arrangements for um, services, um, more informal services on, on a Sunday afternoon or evening for for, for those students to to uh, help make it more comfortable for them. Another phenomenon that we have in our student body is what's known as third culture kids, or uh, TCKs for short. Um, these are uh, young people, um, often children of missionaries, but young people, they're, they're children of American parents, U.S. parents, but who have been overseas um, for mission or for other work. And so these children, if not born in another country, at least their, their formative years have been spent in another country. And they come here as, 
as freshmen or maybe sophomores in high school. And, well, they're Americans. They speak uh, perfect English. They were raised by American parents, but they were raised in another country with different mm. uh, different dress, different foods, different uh, customs, uh, different culture. And so they're they're not really from the other country, but they're not really American. So that that's the term third culture kids. And mm-hmm. so they, um, they mix in with our um, student body well, and it becomes, uh, becomes an opportunity really that uh, they become something of a bridge between uh, uh, American students and international students. That is a great rundown. I would, I would suggest everybody to look up St. Paul Lutheran High School, uh, splhs.org, www.splhs.org. Thank you for those words, and we keep you and, and all of our teachers. And like you said, the mission field is right in your room, which is quite exciting um, for us. But today, and this might be appropriate for Concordia, uh, uh, back on the farm. Here we go, back to the scriptures as we go back to Colossians. But as we begin, Pastor, can you... Uh, Dr. Dieterding, can you begin us in prayer? Sure. Let us pray. Eternal God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, grant us your Holy Spirit who writes the word into our hearts so we may receive and believe it and be gladdened and comforted by it in eternity. Glorify your word in our hearts. Make it so bright and warm that we may find pleasure in it. And through your inspiration, think what is right. By your power, fulfill the word. For the sake of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Reminder to everyone that if you have any questions concerning our text today in the book of Colossians, the first 14 verses, drop us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Well, as we begin a new book, I always find it uh, good for me as I, as I look to a new book in Holy Scripture is to get a lot of the background. I would call it the what's, who's, where's, when's, and all of those things. So we start off on the right foot. And so, Dr. Dieterding, there's a number of thematic understandings that we have. So let's start here. What's the significance of this letter to the Colossians? How would you describe that? Well, um, one significant theme, certainly, is Christology, its presentation of Christ. Um, one might call it the most exalted Christology in, in all of Scripture. That's a matter of opinion, so some may, may think, well, no, I, I think another book is uh, the highest, uh, most exalted Christology in the Bible. Well, I won't argue with, with you over that, but I think everybody will agree that there's certainly a very exalted view of Christ given us here in this letter. Um, some of your readers, uh, listeners, uh, no doubt are, are familiar with the term eschatology, the study of the last things. Well, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Colossians is uh, rich in what we might call protology, the study of the first things. Uh, it has um, a number of references to to creation and the created order. Um, and protology, I use that term because it's not just, well, we have to have a beginning for everything. Everything had to start, so creation in that sense. But the significance of creation as the way God intends things to be, and then also, therefore, the way that they will be restored by the mm. salvation of Christ, the way they will be restored in eternity. So Colossians is rich in that. And then... Um, eschatology. The uh, the whole Bible is oriented toward the future, toward the outcome. Uh, 
um, just as in an athletic contest. Um, doesn't really matter if you've led the whole game if you're not leading at the end. The team that's leading <laughs> at the end will win. Um, often as we we look at our lives here as Christians, um, there's things that would maybe want to make us think we're no better off than the unbelievers. Sometimes it seems we're worse off than the unbelievers as, as we take mm-hmm. up our cross and follow Christ. And Colossians, like the rest of the scriptures, focuses our attention on the end, focuses on the outcome, shows us that in view of the way things will be at the end, the way things will be in eternity, yes, we are better off. We, it is worthwhile to, to follow our Lord Jesus Christ. And so to kind of summarize that, because that is very helpful, because when you do read, even though it's short, like I said, 95 verses long, that you see those themes come out. So a very high view of Christ, who Christ is from beginning to end. Protology, which, you know, I have to admit, I I wouldn't have been able to define that right away, but the study of first things, talking about creation, and then uh, talking about how Jesus is the Lord of all creation, but also the new creation, and then that points us to the very end, which is the goal of biblical theology, eschatology as well. Christology, protology, eschatology. Everyone, I encourage my listeners to write that down. Use it with your friends sometime. You'll really impress them when you use those words. So um, so now go back to, to going to the, the actual text itself and the people. Who were the Colossians, and what was, his, what was Paul's relationship with them? All right. Um, the city of Colossae was in um, roughly the western part of what is today Turkey. Uh, in uh, Paul's time, it was the Roman province of Asia, Uh, Just a reminder that Asia in the Bible doesn't mean what it means today in geography class. Mm -hmm. It refers to the Roman province of Asia, basically the western, maybe third of of what is today Turkey. Uh, Mm. These were people, um, Paul describes them in in chapter 2, those who have not seen me face to face. So Paul uh, had not personally met them, uh, a few individuals uh, to the exception, but by and large, he'd not met any of them. We learned from this letter that um, they had been started by the ministry of a man named Epaphras. Uh, just uh, verses we're going to be looking at a little later. Just as you learned it, the grace of God from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, um, mentioned mm-hmm. later in the letter as, as one of you. And so Epaphras is the founding pastor. Now, Paul had never met them, so why his uh, interest in them? Why his concern for them? I mentioned um, Colossa is in the Roman province of Asia, and uh, a key to that is found in the book of Acts, Acts 19. Uh, And Acts 19 describes Paul's ministry in the city of Ephesus, uh, another city in Asia, Ephesus happened to be um, right on the the coast of the Aegean. Uh, Colossae was uh, farther inland. And in describing Paul's ministry there, uh, he spent three months in the synagogue, and then uh, after having to leave the synagogue, continued on in uh, ministry, set up elsewhere. And then uh, Acts 19.10 reads, This, Paul's ministry, continued for two years, then, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks, all the residents mm-hmm. of Asia. 
What mm-hmm. this um, would seem to point to is that Paul in Ephesus is not just himself carrying out um, ministry of preaching and teaching, but that he is also preparing others to go elsewhere in Asia and to bring uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ there. And so this would seem to account for the origin of the church at Colossa, that Epaphras was one of those whom Paul had prepared, and uh, under Paul's auspices, he um, he went to Colossa and um, started the church there, brought the gospel there, and that's uh, how the church came came into being, and it was founded under Paul's um, guidance, one might say, even though not started by him personally. And so he felt a pastoral responsibility toward the people who were there. And so Epaphras would be technically the founding pastor of the Colossian church? That, in that's our minds? the kind of language we would, yeah, that's the kind of terminology okay. we'd use for them. Yeah. So, so right now, he's writing this letter, and there's a concern. What caused him to write this letter to the Colossians? Yeah. Um, Paul talks about, um, uh, he uses... Um, Phrases like, uh, I say this in order that no one may delude you, uh, see it that no one takes you captive, let no one pass judgment on you, that uh, Epaphras, who is with him, because Epaphras sends greetings at the end of the letter, Paul sends greetings from Epaphras to the church at Colossians through this letter, mm-hmm. um, that Epaphras has brought news that there is a a problem, a false teaching, a heresy troubling the church, and he's come to Paul with this this message, and now Paul writes Colossians in order to deal with this situation, to deal with this false teaching that that has arisen and is troubling the, the church at Colossae. And so give us an idea of this. I mean, this is interesting that he, he comes back, he has news. I had heard uh, another podcast on Colossians that kind of said, Epaphras was basically like, I don't really know what to do with this. And so, Paul, can you help me out a little bit? <laughs> and so, so what what kind of issue, how would you describe the issue and the heresy that's going on in Colossae? One thing we note um, about the letter to the Colossians is there is a fairly frequent use of the word knowledge and synonyms, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and as we look at the issues that Paul tackles, um, all of this bears a resemblance to a, a false teaching that we, we know of from other sources, um, a false teaching known by the, the Greek word for knowledge. The Greek word for knowledge is gnosis, and uh, so that bears um, similarities to what we know of a heresy known as Gnosticism uh, from the Greek word for knowledge. Now, for a long time, um, we only knew about this false teaching through early church fathers writing against it. But uh, in the 20th century, uh, there were documents discovered uh, an ancient library uh, in, in Egypt at a place called Nag Hammadi. Um, so some of your listeners may have may have heard of the Nag Hammadi documents. And what these were, these were the writings of these people themselves. These were the writings of Gnostic teachers themselves. And so instead of knowing about it only from the critique, the criticism that the church fathers uh, worded against it, now we 
we have the words of of these teachers themselves, their 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 beliefs in their own words, and we see that the, the church fathers, you know, were were pretty accurate in in describing uh, just what they they believed, just what they taught. Um, basic to this teaching is the notion that what is spiritual is good, but what is material is evil, inherently evil. Hmm. And um, furthermore, there was a an idea that there were a hierarchy of deities, um, of spiritual beings. Maybe the term angels was used, but anyway, that there were these various beings between humanity and the highest being, the highest deity, and that you had to pass through these to to reach fellowship with God. And so these these uh, false teachers offered their way as as a way of being united with the highest deity. Um, that you had to have the knowledge that they claimed to be able to impart uh, in order to, as it were. Um, Get past these other deities and 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 get get to get to God, get to the highest God. Hmm. Uh, and so, the Redeemer and redemption that came about by knowledge. Hence, hence the name uh, that that is so associated with this false teaching. Um, if you start with the notion uh, that the material is evil, that only the spiritual is good. Well, of course. The creation of the world is is a bad thing, uh, and this was attributed to to the the lowest of the of the deities. He made the mistake of of creating the material world. Oh my! If you're going to follow this, if you're going to hold to these ideas, well, um, think of all the teachings of the Christian faith that either have to be rejected or reinterpreted. Um, creation itself. Um, the incarnation, that God would become flesh, become a part of the created world. Well, that's that's no good. That has to be rejected or, or reinterpreted. Uh, that a physical death on the cross would be the way of salvation. That wouldn't fly. The resurrection of the body, well, the body material, it's inherently evil. So, again, that either is rejected or, or must be reinterpreted. It looks like some form of this false teaching has made its way to Colossa. And mm. as we we read through um, this letter, we see how Paul addresses this, um, this false teaching and, and how he refutes it and how he points his readers to the true teaching uh, about, about Jesus Christ uh, as as God in the flesh, as God come to be with us. And this is uh, this is great, great stuff. As we look at all the background, where is this place? What is the trouble as we are about to get into the text? But right now we need to take our break. We're beginning our new study of Colossians with Dr. Paul Dieterding, and we will be right back.
The Missouri Army National Guard can help you get the education you need to land the career you've always wanted. The Guard will pay up to 100% of your tuition for up to 39 credit hours per academic year at 90 colleges and tech schools across the state. You're eligible as soon as you enlist. Learn more about the many benefits that come with serving part-time in the Missouri Army National Guard. Visit NationalGuard.com today. Sponsored by the Missouri Army National Guard. Aired by the Missouri Broadcasters Association in this station. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. Cross Defense is the show where we talk about curious topics to excite the imagination, equip the mind, and comfort the soul with God's Word. Join me, Pastor Tyrell Bramwell, every Monday at 2 p.m. Central on KFUO Radio or anytime on KFUO.org or even your favorite podcast app. My friends, our foe is a fierce enemy. Our only defense is Christ on the cross. And welcome back. We're studying Colossians chapter 1 with Dr. Paul Dieterding. And one of the great joys that we have as we've heard all this great context and background of the book of Colossians is the reality that uh, there's there's a whole, everyone has a story. You know, we all have a story of how this came to be, where this came from, and it's good for us to be able to get all that background because here is a church with an issue, just like your church, just like my church. A bunch of sinners are in one place. So the question is, what is the truth? What kind of Jesus do we have? And how does this relate um, to us as we are ones of Christ? And so, uh, Dr. Dieterding, I wanted to ask one final question before we get into our verses today. Where is Paul when he is writing this epistle? Well, that's that's a matter of opinion. He's in prison. We know that much. This is one of the prison epistles. And uh, um, there are, um, among Bible students, um, three suggestions. Uh, we know Paul was in uh, Caesarea in prison after his arrest in Jerusalem, after the third missionary journey, roughly 57 to 58 A.D., so some feel that the letter was written from there. Uh, because of a reference in First Corinthians about contending with wild beasts in Ephesus, some of postulated an Ephesian imprisonment during his time there, that that accounts for why he was there so long. If that's the case, that puts this letter somewhere 53 to 55 AD. We do know that Paul was uh, imprisoned in Rome for two years. The book of Acts ends with him, uh, his two-year imprisonment in Rome, when he is uh, able to, without hindrance and with all boldness, to proclaim uh, the kingdom of God there. Uh, Rome, time in Rome, 60 to 61 A.D. My personal opinion is that the Roman imprisonment is the most likely uh, place uh, and most likely time during which Colossians is written. But the student of the Bible should never um, base anything on, on that because there are, there are some other possibilities. 
Well, that is very helpful because as we just got done with Philippians, I mean, there's a lot of uh, important realities to know that he's in jail when he writes this. You know, and when he says rejoice in the Lord always, he's not saying sitting on a beach, sipping a, sipping a margarita. You know, he is he is in jail and we know he's in jail where it is. We don't know, but we do know he is. And so mm-hmm. he is fighting Gnosticism, which is the understanding pretty much a denial of physical things. Um, uh, you know, that the greatest thing is knowledge and, and which obviously contradicts everything we believe as Christians, because it's about faith. It's about a, a, a God who becomes flesh. It's about a death. It's about a resurrection. It's about a cross. It's about the sacraments, so the, the body and blood of Jesus and baptism. All of this goes into why he had to fight this so that the truth of Christ may be known. So, Dr. Dieterding, let's dig into the text and we'll just start with the first two verses. And Paul writes, And right to our listeners, we are reading from the English Standard Version of Holy Scripture. Paul writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossa, grace to you and peace from God our Father. This seems like a normal uh, salutation, but is there more to it than that? How would you describe this salutation? Um, It is brief, one of the briefer introductions, um, briefer greetings uh, to his letters. But there are a couple of terms that we ought to take a look at. Um, Paul identifies himself as an apostle, and that's that's an important word uh, in the New Testament. Now, there are some places where uh, the word seems to be used in kind of a general sense of um, any representative. The the formation of the word would be uh, one who is sent. And sometimes it has kind of a, in a few places, it has kind of a general meaning of just somebody is a representative. Most of the time, the word apostle in uh, the scriptures has a very uh, restricted meaning. Um, Luke's gospel, Jesus called 12 and named them apostles. Um, Paul writes uh, his letters that, that he is an apostle. And the apostle is the idea of one sent with authority. Uh, Perhaps the closest um, concept we have in our language and in our culture would be delegate, an authorized Mm -hmm. delegate. If if, uh, you are selected to be a pastoral or a lay delegate from your congregation to a district convention or from your circuit to a synodical convention, well, you come with certain authority. You have authority to represent those who sent you, authority to vote, authority to speak. And so the apostles are sent by our Lord with with authority, um, the authority in his word. Um, a couple of verses out of John 17 are helpful here. Jesus said, For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Uh, to be an apostle, we know that one had to be an eyewitness of the resurrection. So when in Acts 1, they pick someone to replace Judas to complete the number of the 12, and it says someone who's been an eyewitness of the resurrection. Paul in 1 Corinthians, um, am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Uh, referring to the Damascus Road experience. So uh, the apostles were eyewitnesses 
of uh, the risen Lord. And then they were sent by him with authority. And so when we read of the church built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, or mm-hmm. when um, Christ has given gifts to his uh, church and the first listed is apostles, or the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, the first one is apostles, uh, they're set up in in a special uh, place, a special category. Uh, as I mentioned, they had to be eyewitnesses of the resurrection, so there's no no second generation apostles. And uh, this concept of apostle, one sent with authority, um, we should read this alongside the Bible passages that talk about the inspiration of Scripture. Uh, the we believe on the basis of scripture the authors of of scripture were inspired by the holy spirit to write related to that is the idea of apostleship that they were sent by the lord with authority with authority to communicate his word and so if we think of uh, the authors of the books of of the bible um the gospels matthew and john they were among the 12 they were apostles Mark's Gospel, as uh, your listeners may be familiar with, very closely associated with the Apostle Peter. Mm-hmm. Luke, in his Gospel, right in the first verses, says he got his information from those who were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word. Well, eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word is pretty much in a definition of what an apostle was. Right. Um, right. Um, Paul's letters, Paul's an apostle. Um, uh, James, the brother of our Lord, Peter, John, um, the the authors of the New Testament, at least uh, those we know, if they weren't apostles, they were close associates with them. Mm. So they were sent by uh, Christ to communicate his word. And we see that in, in the letter to the Colossians also, uh, jumping ahead to nearly the end of the letter, 4 verse 16, when Paul instructs them to have the letter read among you, uh, to, re- to have it read and have it read, not simply the equivalent of posting it on the church bulletin board, but have it read as you read the Hebrew scriptures uh, that you've been doing um, all your life with your experience with with the synagogue, uh, that, that Paul, with this instruction, have this read, is uh, demonstrating that, that he realizes these aren't just his personal opinions that he is writing in this letter, that he is communicating God's word. To his church, so the concept uh-huh. of apostle is an important one. Well, Another and we usually great... let me let Go me ahead. just say this real quick, Doctor Dieter Ding is we just read that and don't even think about that. There's a whole lot to that word, as you said so well, because Paul and Apostle Christ Jesus. Okay, all right, let's get to chapter two. It talks about baptism. Okay, let's get to forgiveness, verse fourteen, which I tend to do. So that's very helpful to know that when Paul writes, he has authority not only to them, but also to Laodicea, that this was used early on for worship. This is used for song, as we hear a little bit later in chapter 1. I mean, that's very helpful to know that what is his authority, which is what we all have to do as you teach, as we preach, as we interact with people. What's your authority? Who gives you the right to say this? So this is that that is very helpful as we look at Paul and as he writes this. Um, Go on. Sorry, your next phrase you were going to say? Yeah, um, then the phrase in Christ, and this is one that Mm. Paul uses uh, frequently um, in his letters. In English, when we say 
believe in Christ, uh, faith in Christ, we use that same preposition in. Uh, in the Greek of Paul's letters, he has other ways of designating the object of faith. And so this phrase, in Christ, uh, is not, um, I think, seldom if ever used to designate the object of faith. Rather, believers, for, here, for example here, the saints and faithful brothers in Christ, mm-hmm. when we are in Christ... When we are in Christ, we have a relationship with him. And as we examine this phrase throughout the letters of Paul, we see that it is associated with both baptism and the word of the gospel as the way in which you come to be. We see that uh, one is in Christ through faith. Now, I mentioned mm-hmm. the, the phrase seldom, if ever, designates the object of faith way in which you are in this relationship, that you are you are in Christ. And so the Christians are united with one another because they are in Christ. Uh, their mission is carried out in Christ. Their, their life is lived in Christ. Hence, uh, Paul writes in another later letter that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. So this is a this is a phrase that's that's very rich, uh, very important to Paul. He uses it a lot of time, and and when we come to it, we should we should be mindful that he uses this, this to designate uh, the relationship that the believer has to Jesus Christ, created by the gospel, created by his baptism, and it consists of faith, of believing, believing in the Lord Jesus. And that and that's helpful because we'll kind of throw that word around in Christ, and we don't really think about what it might mean, or we will skip it altogether. We say, "Well, mm-hmm. you know, we're here together as one, and because it's nice and for potlucks and da da da." <laughs> and we never use the word in Christ, and Paul does not allow that to be overlooked ever in his epistles. It's always mm-hmm. in Christ everything that he does. Mm-hmm. Let's let's move on and let's read verses three through eight, and we can uh, dig into those verses that you have for us. Sure. Paul continues. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as if you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So here, Paul uses these words that we hear in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, faith, hope, and love. What do these these terms mean? A little bit out of order from the other time, you know, faith, hope, and love, or faith, uh, love, and hope, or however it looks. And 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 so, what do all three of those mean in this section of scripture? All right. Um, first of all, we want to note the um, close association of faith and hope. Uh, I, I use the the phrase that uh, faith and hope are two sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Um, Faith and hope are the same thing. Hope is faith directed toward the future. Hope is a word about the future. Uh, so the two words, very similar in, in their concept. But each word, each word is used in uh, two 
different but related senses. Um, faith and hope can both refer to the object of faith, the object of hope. So faith would be the things you believe. Hope would be the things for which you are looking as a believer. Uh, often there we would use the article, the faith, the hope. So what is the faith? Well, the, the doctrines, the content, um, that Christ is God, that he gave his life on the cross for our redemption, that he rose from the dead. What is the hope? That we will be resurrected at the last day, that um, we will have eternal life. So the the object, the content uh, of faith, of believing, of hoping. The words can also be used to describe the act of believing, the act of hoping. Mm -hmm. um, and as we look here in Colossians 1, uh, 3 to 5, we note that the word hope is used in the first sense, the content, the content, the, the, the hope that we have, the faith that we have. So the hope laid up for you in heaven. So there is the objective reality hmm. that because of what Jesus Christ has done, now we have hope. We have something in our future. We have something to look forward to. It is laid up in heaven. It is eternal life. And then we note that Paul says, your faith and your love are because of the hope laid up for you. And so wow. faith here in, uh, in verse 4 then is the act of believing. Uh, you're believing, and then your believing then leads into the love that you have for all the saints. So we have the objective content of hope. The, the the objective truth of what Jesus Christ did that we might have eternal life, hmm. his suffering, death, resurrection, his promise to come again, that we will be raised from the dead at the last day, that objective hope, the hope that we have laid up in heaven, because of that, then we can engage in the act of believing, the act of having faith, the act of trusting in Christ as our Savior, the act of trusting in him as the way to the hope laid up for us in heaven. That, in turn, will show itself then in our love shown to all the saints, our love shown to others. So our act of believing is based upon the objective content of what Christ has done. I sometimes... Um, illustrate that in, in terms of um, I lived for a while in, in Carson City, Nevada, near the foothills of the Sierra Nevada the mountains. Um, if you were driving back from uh, from the mountains down in, into the valley where Carson City was, um, the mountain roads, of course, winding, and of course what you needed was a good set of brakes. Uh, that downhill grade, after a while, you didn't you didn't use the accelerator anymore. You used strictly the brake to keep you from going too fast. Yeah. If you have if you have trust in your brakes, but they're defective. They've 
they've been compromised. They're no good. It doesn't matter how strongly you trust in those brakes. If they're no good, they're not going to control your speed. You're, you're going to be in a very disastrous car crash. And so the act of believing, the act of hoping, um, that in and of itself is not saving. It has to be in the right object. People sometimes, sadly, have strong faith in something that doesn't save, something that is not worth believing. Now, yes, we should have strong faith. That's not what I'm saying. But our faith has value. Our faith saves because of the object of Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, coming again, the certain hope of eternal life that we will have because of that objective reality, then we ourselves can believe in that and hope in that very fervently, very strongly. Now this this is fascinating. I, I am I am my mind is trying to grasp around this and it makes so much sense when you brought the brakes into it. I literally put the brakes on as you mentioned yeah. that is it is the, for the Colossians. The problem wasn't that they didn't have faith, is that the content of their faith and hope was in the wrong thing that they are their content is is focused on knowledge their content was so so this is why it would have been confusing for epiphras is that okay they sound like faithful people like they have faith they have all this but he couldn't quite put his finger on the problem is the content if they're going to have their hope in um in, in knowledge if their hope is going to be on emotions their hope is going to be on in feelings. Well, then their faith is in the wrong thing. And we see this today where people are like, oh, I have faith. The question isn't, does America or does your neighbor have faith? The question is, what is the content of that faith? And it, it always points me back to this hymn. And, it, you know, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's the content. And then from that, we have the act of faith. I believe in that. I hope in that. I know that the future is 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 in Christ. My, there's a resurrection. There is a physical resurrection. There is a physical Jesus all of this, and from that flows by the power of the Holy Spirit to love. Am I on the right track or am I way off here, Pastor? No, I think that's, that's exactly right. Um, <sighs> you hear people talking about um, faith in, in such a way that it's um, it sounds like they have faith in the fact that they have faith. Their act of believing is what saves them. Now, right. uh, I hope in that actually in their heart of hearts that what they're putting their confidence in is not their act of believing. They're putting their confidence, their trust, their faith in Christ crucified and risen, because that's what saves, not not your your act of believing. Your act of believing by itself, it's that your believing is on the one who saves, the one who's the way, the truth, and the life. And that's a good thing for all of us to always consider. How do we speak about these things? What's my hope in? In Christ, as you said so well in the in the uh, in the greeting, um, what what do I hope in? In Christ, because you'll say we'll say something like uh, you pray, and someone says, "But I sure hope God heard that." And that's a whole different dynamic where you're not really you're kind of it's a it's a vain existence of trying. It's not even not even real. Your hope is in you know you know I'm not sure. Of course, He heard you, mm-hmm. but but here we're talking about physical things, and He is. I mean, this is clears it up so well why He's writing the way He is because He's directing and He's pointing to hope that is real, physical, not based on your knowledge, 
but based on Christ alone of whom we can have faith in, and from that outflows love. Um, Pastor uh, Dr. Dieterding, we're a little bit short on time, so I want to get through the next three verses. Actually, you know what? Sure. I want to get through the rest, 9 through 14, and then to talk about what you want to focus on for these last uh, about six minutes that we have left. So I want to read the rest of it, 9 through 14. Um, excuse me. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, what are the important terms that we hear? Or, uh, yeah, what, what are the important terms we hear in these last verses? Well, we note there are several terms for knowledge that are used here. Uh, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, um, not to be thought of as separate things. Paul here is just piling on the synonyms for emphasis that uh, that the one knowledge that matters, the one knowledge, wisdom, understanding that matters is a trust in Jesus Christ. And so trying to strengthen his readers that they, they don't get uh, enticed by this this false teaching that's uh, claiming a knowledge that can only come through them that's offering itself as a as a, passing itself off as a more sophisticated uh, version of Christianity, but focusing on on Christ uh, Christ Himself. And then, in particularly in the verses 12 through 14, we have uh, just a real treasury of words to describe salvation, inheritance, uh, a gift uh, that we have from Christ, light. Anybody who's ever been in total darkness knows the value of light, and Christ's salvation is like light in a dark place, rescued, um, that that he rescued us from um, what what we could not rescue ourselves from, rescued us from uh, eternal punishment. Uh, the word kingdom or rule, um, Jesus, kingdom of God, I encourage people um, mentally replace kingdom with a with a uh, an, uh, an action word like rule or reign. That he's talking about God's saving reign. He's not talking about a place. Mm -hmm. Redemption. Um, that Christ paid the price. Um, for our our salvation, paid the price for our rescue. And then, the, of course, the one that you've mentioned already, forgiveness of sins, um, that there's the real problem. The real problem is not a lack of knowledge that, uh, well, these false teachers claimed they could impart. The real problem is sin. And Christ brings the forgiveness of sins, and that, the knowledge of that, the faith in that, that is what will deliver us. And and it's it's in Christ and not in some um, speculations that that are being put before the Colossian Christians about you must do this, you must do that in order to appease these beings, in order to make your way back to God. No, it's it's in Christ, Christ who's all sufficient. Now, there's one thing I read in your commentary in verse nine. 
It says that they may be filled with all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In the Gnostic world, it's all about how much do I know? Um, how much wisdom do you have? Did you find the secret knowledge? All these things. And you mentioned, I believe it's in your commentary. Forgive me if it is not. But you talk about spiritual wisdom and what does it mean to have spiritual wisdom? You pointed it back to for the forgiveness of sins. How do we know we are wise? Because we know the content of our faith, which is Christ who has forgiven us of our sins. And the act of that is something that saves us. And what flows from that is comfort and love that comes from our Lord. Uh, am I way off on that? Or I think you wrote that, didn't you? <laughs> uh, yeah, that it, it, it's yes, yeah, spot on. That, that's uh, <laughs> what we what we need. Um you know, wisdom, that's a subject for a whole other Bible study, the biblical view right. of wisdom. But it's, it's uh, in, in the, the um, particularly the book, Old Testament book of Proverbs, um, and picked up somewhat here in Colossians, that wisdom is uh, part of God's creation, that God created with wisdom, that God imparted wisdom to his creation, that to be to, to have wisdom, to be wise, is you need to be in a right relationship with the source of all wisdom, the Creator, God Himself. Yeah, and yeah. the way you do that is through Jesus Christ. And hence, in the New Testament, He is called the wisdom of God. Right, right. So give me one word or a sentence in about 20 seconds to describe these verses that we read today. Um, Paul is... Really, he's giving an overview, uh, actually from 3 to 20. I call it the overture. He's uh, introducing all the themes that he's going to uh, expound on in greater detail uh, in later in the letter. So like an overture of a symphony has themes that are going to be developed more fully in the, the symphony. So here Paul touches on themes, and he's going to develop them more deeply in the rest of the letter. Dr. Paul Dieterding of, of uh, the chair of the Religion Department at St. Paul Lutheran High School in Concordia, Missouri, and the author of the Concordia Commentary in Colossians, Dr. Dieterding, thank you for being our guest. Thank you. Saints of our Lord, pray for one another, for the Lord would help you to bear fruit in all things because there are things that people believe that are not true, but we know what our faith is in. It is in Christ and Him crucified for the forgiveness of your sins. I'm your host, Brady Finnern, and thank you for being with us today.